And today we'll be looking at verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither the moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor wheat reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for its day is its own trouble. Well, in our, in our day and age with smartphones that have GPS uh, that are built into them, it's a lot harder to get lost than it used to be. Um, but it's not impossible. And one of the ways, the easiest ways that you can get lost today is by putting in the wrong destination. Uh, for example, when my wife first started working at the place she works, she works on Delaware Avenue in Buffalo. And uh, I didn't realize that apparently there's like four Delawares. There's a Delaware Avenue in Niagara Falls. There's a Delaware Road. There's a Delaware Street. There's a Delaware Avenue Buffalo. There might be another one that I'm missing as well. And so I put in the wrong one, and I started going the complete opposite direction when she first started working there. I know near my parents' house, they live kind of close to NCCC, uh, there's a town line road, and then about two miles away, there's a different town line road. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up on Lockport Road, and I remember sometimes we would order pizza and uh, get it delivered, and the pizza delivery person would call us and be, be like, uh, we're at the address, but there's no house here. And they would be at Lockport Road in downtown Niagara Falls, not in Sanborn. Um, I know several years ago, before Paul was born, uh, Stephanie and I went on a trip to Florida and uh, we went to Sanibel Island. I looked up this restaurant that I thought looked cool. I think it was called the Lazy Flamingo uh, or something like that. And it had really good reviews. And I think it was supposed to be like 20 minutes away, 20, 30 minutes away from where we were staying. So I thought we'd go check it out. So I put it into the GPS. We just keep driving and driving and driving and driving. About 50 minutes, an hour later, we finally get there. And uh, let me tell you, it wasn't worth an hour drive. So we're a little bit disappointed, and then we're headed back to uh, the hotel that we're staying at. And about 30 minutes back, we look, and on our left-hand side is this restaurant called the Lazy Flamingo. 
Apparently there were two locations, one on Sanibel and one on Captiva. We drove all the way through Sanibel to get to the one on Captiva because we put in the wrong destination. That's the easiest way that you can get lost today is putting in the wrong destination. And I think as believers in Christ, sometimes we can do the same thing. Uh, we have the map, so to speak. We have the word of God. We have um, God's instructions to us. We have uh, kind of the easiest access to God's word of anybody in the history of the world. I mean, we have, you know, we can listen to God's word. We can have God's word in, you know, 30 different translations. Uh, we have so many uh, different resources to access God's word. And so we, so we know God's word. We have access to God's word. But I, sometimes I think we get off track because we put in the wrong destination, destination. And really the destination we put in is earthly destinations. We're focused on this earth rather than on heaven. Why do I say that? What's some evidence that we're focused on this earth more than on heaven? What do we think of as the successful life? Sometimes we think of money, security, good job, good career. Even in church circles, people think of a successful church as being tons of people, tons of money. What are the things that we worry about? We worry about earthly things. Uh, we're going to pay our mortgage. Uh, that our, kid is, our kids are going to have a good education. They're going to be happy, have a good job. Uh, we worry about our retirement. Uh, the things that are often on the, the top of our list are earthly things. We worry about earthly things. Think about our prayers. We often pray for earthly things. You know, if somebody gets sick or injured, we rightfully pray that they would be healed. But how often do we pray for their soul, that Jesus would meet them in their time of need? That if they don't know Christ, that they would come to know him. That if they do know Christ, that they would trust in him and rely on them in the midst of it. We're often focused on the earthly rather than the heavenly. We're often not focused on the kingdom of God. And oftentimes I think of, we think of kind of, the, our earthly destination and our heavenly destination. We think of it as, as kind of two separate destinations. Like right now we're focused on this earthly life, and then one day after we die, then, then we'll be focused on the heavenly life. But I think we got it all mixed up. This earthly life is just kind of a way station. Uh, so we just got back from Florida last week, and uh, the, the journey down was about 18 hours to get down there. And so we stopped on the way down at a place called Princeton, West Virginia. And we stopped there because we were tired, we needed to rest. Um, but there was no question, that wasn't our destination. It was cold, there wasn't really much to do there at all. And, you know, that was a part of our journey. And so there was kind of an enjoyment of just kind of the journey of being there. But that wasn't our destination. We were headed for Florida. And in the same way, this world is not our home. We're headed for a heavenly reality. Heaven is our destination, and we're just kind of passing through this earth. Now, sometimes people uh, say, well, you just got to be careful that you're not so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And I don't think that's really possible. I don't think it's really that possible to be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And, and sometimes when people say that, you know, there, there are certain people that are maybe like, well, you know, this, this world is terrible. I'm just waiting for heaven, just waiting for heaven, just wait, can't wait for the Lord to come back, you know, and they don't do anything with their life. That's not what being heavily minded is about. 
It's not just about our destination. Of course, when we go to heaven, if we're believers, we're going, or when we die, if we're believers, we're going to go to heaven. So it is a destination, but it's more than that. And when Jesus talks about heaven, he often talks about the kingdom of heaven. And he says the kingdom of heaven is, is not just a destination. He says the kingdom of heaven is among us. It's here. It's inbreaking into the affairs of men. And so being heavenly minded, it's not simply about a destination. It is a destination, but it's more than that. I believe that being heavenly minded means focusing on the things that are important, making our lives count, and living in light of eternity. It means living in light of God's kingdom, living in light of what God is doing and what he's going to do in the kingdom of heaven. And I think here in this passage, Jesus demonstrates kind of the benefits of being heavenly minded. And uh, earlier on, we talked in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave the Beatitudes and talked about the blessed life. And, and blessed is, is kind of a word that's similar to the word happy and joyful and what it looks like to be happy and joyful. And in this passage, I think he shows us that if we're going to be happy, if we're going to be joyful, the blessed life means living a heavenly-minded life. And so we see the benefits of, of being heavenly minded in this passage. And I see four benefits in this passage. The first is that when we're heavenly minded, grace abounds. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Now, thinking about this image, um, it's kind of detached from us. Um, when we think about the things that are most important to us, you know, our money, uh, maybe a house, you know, our money is put in a bank, or at least, you know, the lion's share of it generally. Um, our house has house insurance. But at that day and age, they didn't have banks like we have today. They did have banks, but they were more like lenders. And uh, they didn't have safe places to put their stuff. And so remember when Jesus gives the parable of the treasure hidden in the field? We think about a treasure hidden in the field, and, you know, it's kind of like a mythology, like a pirate hiding a treasure. But at that day and age, that was a very practical thing. If you had money, if you had something valuable, you didn't want somebody to steal it, you had to hide it. You had to handle it on your own. And, and so Jesus says that these treasures that you have on this earth, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to the elements, vulnerable to moths, to vermin. I don't know if you've ever had uh, something that was in your attic or basement or shed or garage, and the mice get in it and destroy it. It's not a fun experience. Um, also, thieves can break in and steal. And so Jesus says your treasures are vulnerable. You know, you store up for yourself these things that can deteriorate and can be stolen from you. Now, again, the, the context is kind of separate from us. But for all of us, our treasures are always vulnerable. You know, maybe we have some money in the bank. And it's relatively safe there. No one's going to steal our money from the bank. But there is things outside of our control that could make our money virtually worthless within minutes. Um, for example, a few years or several years ago um, in Hungary, 1946, they held the record for the most extreme monthly inflation rate ever, which was 49.9 quadrillion percent in a month. 4.9 times 10 to the 16th percent. It meant that prices doubled every 15.3 hours. Uh, November 14, 2008, Zimbabwe's annual inflation rate was estimated to be 89.7 sextillion percent. 
The highest, highest monthly inflation rate of that period was 79.6 billion percent and a doubling time of 24.7 hours. And we think inflation is bad here. I mean, imagine things doubling that fast. Our money would be worthless in a matter of hours. So there's things outside of our control that can make our treasure worthless. You know, you think about our homes. And, you know, we, you know if you own a home, you probably have house insurance. This last fall, um, I went down into my basement, and I saw this little pile of soil by the window. I saw these little brown bugs there. And I started to freak out because I'm doing, you know, internet searches, and I think they're termites. And, and in the course of, of, of that experience, I, I looked up and I found that house insurance doesn't usually cover termite damage. Now, thankfully, they weren't termites. They were just a harmless little ant. Um, but, you know, there's things outside of our control that could take away our treasure. Um, floods, you know, unless you live in a flood zone, have insurance through FEMA, generally... Um, house insurance doesn't cover flooding. And, and so our treasures are always vulnerable. They're always uh, subject to corruption, to, to thieves, to, to, to brokenness. And so Jesus says to, build, to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about these treasures in heaven? And how do we get these treasures in heaven? Uh, what he's talking about. We don't know for sure exactly what these treasures will look like. Um, I've always looked at this passage and thought about, you know, Jesus talks about treasures and what is one thing in this life that you can take with you to heaven? There's only one thing. The only one thing that you can take to heaven is other people. And so I've thought maybe Jesus is talking about other people. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. Maybe he's talking about other treasures as well. Um, but there's treasures in store for us that are going to, that, that are secure, that will never be taken away. And I think from the totality of scriptures, it's clear that the way that we receive these treasures is by trusting God, obeying God, being faithful in the little things, and then he stores up for us to treasure in heaven. Why is that grace? Why does being heavenly minded mean that grace abounds? Because we don't deserve those rewards. We're finite, sinful human beings, and yet God in his infinite grace allows our actions to live on forever. He allows our actions on this earth to have eternal significance, that the things that we do matter. So when we get up in the morning, we don't have to worry about whether we have significance or not. Christ allows our actions for him to live on into eternity. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, 1 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. As the famous missionary Martyr Jim Elliott once put it, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot use, cannot lose. So when we're heavenly minded, it means grace abounds. It means that God gives us a treasure in heaven that's unfading, undefiled, that cannot be taken away, and he allows our actions on this earth to have eternal significance. The second benefit of being heavenly minded is that when we're heavenly minded, 
It means that generosity overflows. In verses 22 to 23, Jesus makes some really interesting statements about the eyes. And um, it seems kind of out of place what he says here. But when we look at it in the context, it really makes a lot of sense. Look at again what it says in verses 22 to 23. <coughs> the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So again, what he's saying here can be a little bit confusing, like the eye is the lamp of the body. What is he talking about when he says the eye is the lamp of the body? Uh, I think what he's talking about here is the fact that the eye is the organ through which we receive light. That is, if you're going to experience light, you have to have eyes that are properly functioning. If your eyes are closed or if you're blind, what are you going to see? All you're going to see is darkness. And so light is not just an external reality. It's something that's apprehended. And so you could be standing and looking straight at the sun, and if your eyes are not working properly, you're only going to see darkness. And so Jesus says that, the eye is important. The eye, if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what does he mean about this eye that's healthy and the eye that's bad? Well, in the Greek, there's literally an implication uh, of the healthy eye being the generous eye and the uh, evil eye or the bad eye being a stingy eye which actually fits this context quite well. And if you could look at the NIV and some other translations, you'll actually maybe see a footnote at the bottom that suggests that as well. See, the heavenly-minded person understands that his or her father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And so the heavenly-minded person realizes that God's supply is never going to run out. And so they're not constricted. They're not focused on just what they have. They focus, they're focused on the provision of all that God is going to provide. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced somebody who is incredibly stingy with money, you know, and you s spend time with them, and, and, and maybe it feels constricting. Maybe it feels like, you know, oppressive, like that there's no opportunity there. It's all in the eyes what we see. So on our trip to Florida, uh, we went to Disney World for a day, which was about all that we could handle. Um, it was ridiculously expensive, insanely expensive. And, you know, it's not only just the admission price. They just, they nickel and dime you with, you know, parking and lightning passes and pictures. Like, everything is an expense. And so as we're going there, I'm I kind of like torn between two things. There's part of me that's just like, this is ridiculous, like, it's just ridiculous how much money this is and, and what this is. But then on the other hand, there's this, I have my wife, my son. He's not going to be three years old for, very, you know, next time we go, if we go again, we have an opportunity to create a memory. And, and so I'm kind of torn between those two poles. And, and, you know, I was thinking about somebody else that I know that makes, like, probably double or, or you know, a lot more money than we make who would never do anything like that because they love money. And, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that we be foolish with our money, that we should just, you know, squander what we have. We should save for the future, be smart, uh, not go into debt if possible. But we need to remember that money is for people. People are not for money. 
And God gives us money as a tool, not as an end. The famous preaching professor Hayden Robinson once said this, in any given situation, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. And so God gives us the things that we need. Sometimes he even gives us more. And he gives us time, he gives us possessions, gives us money as tools, tools to use for him, for his glory, to be a blessing to those around us. And the question is, do we see them as tools or do we see them um, as something, as an end in and of themselves? And, and how do we see other people? Do we see them as a burden? Do we see them as an expense? Do, they, do we see them as kind of a hindrance to what we really want? Or are we using our possessions, our time and resources as tools to glorify God and bless those around us? So when we're heavenly minded, we realize that money is not an end in and of self. That God gives us what he gives us to be a blessing to those around us. And as we do that, generosity overflows in our heart and our eyes are healthy. Our eyes see the possibilities of all that God can do. Third, Jesus says when we're heavenly minded, our allegiance is total. Look again what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, I think that if we, when we look at this passage, I think if we miss uh, the cultural context that Jesus is talking about, uh, we can kind of get this passage really um, out of perspective. And as we look at this passage, oftentimes we focus on the word serve. Nobody can serve two people. And that's actually not true. We can serve two people. Uh, there's many people, multiple part-time jobs. Uh, you can serve your spouse and serve your kids. You can serve many different people. So if we're focusing on the word serve, this passage doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the focus of this passage really is the word master. Nobody can serve two masters. You can serve two people, but you can't serve two masters. And the context that Jesus is talking about is he's talking about the context of slavery. You can't two, a slave can't serve two masters. You know, if you have someone who was a slave in the ancient world and one master said, okay, I need you to make pork chops for dinner at 6 o'clock for my family, and the other master said, I need you to make hamburgers for my family at 6 p.m., what is the slave going to do? He's going to hate the one and love the other. He's going to despise the one, choose the other. He can't do both. And so Jesus says in the same way, you can't serve two masters because a master requires total commitment. And so he says you can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in, really, you can fill in, any of the, fill in the blank. You can't have God as your master something else as your master, because they'll be pulling you in opposite direction. Either you'll follow after God and use money, or you will follow after your money or fill in the blank, whatever it is, and then use God to try to serve that thing, whether it's money or relationship, career, whatever the case may be. You can't serve two masters. And so Jesus says, when you are heavenly minded, the commitment is total. You're serving one master. Finally, he says that when we're heavenly minded, our anxiety starts to disappear. 
So for argument's sake, let's say we put all of the first three things into practice. Uh, we've stored up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're overflowing with generosity. Jesus is our master. We're fully committed to him. But what about our earthly needs? I mean, we need things to survive. We need food. We need clothing. We need money to pay the rent or the mortgage. We need stuff. So if we're not focused on these things, if these are not our goal, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, your heavenly Father is going to provide the things that you need. He said, you, you focus on the heavenly, you focus on the kingdom of God, and then God, as the perfect heavenly Father, he's going to give you the things that you need on this earth. And he gives two examples. The first is the examples of birds. He says, consider the birds of the air. Um, they neither toil nor uh, spin, and yet God provides for them. And, and this is a picture of insignificance. You know, think about a bird and... You know, there's billions of birds, especially probably even more in the ancient world. Billions of birds, and, and a bird is insignificant. You know, a bird falls to the ground, nobody, you know, it happens every day. Yet to God, God knows each and every bird that falls to the ground. God cares for these insignificant creatures. And Jesus' argument is if God cares for these insignificant creatures, how much more does he care about you and me? If he provides for them to have food and shelter, how much more will he provide for us? Then he talks about the lilies of the field. You know, you think about flowers, and Valentine's Day is coming up, and um, I don't know, that maybe the holiday where the most flowers are bought. Lots of flowers at Valentine's Day. You know, you think about any kind of momentous occasion in our lives, and there's usually flowers there. You know, you go to a nice restaurant, a wedding, a funeral, um, there's flowers because flowers are beautiful. Um, but flowers are also very temporary. I have a hibiscus plant, tropical hibiscus plant at home, and it has these beautiful purple and pink flowers. Uh, but the thing that's super frustrating about them is that the blooms last literally like one day. They'll open up in the morning, and by the evening, they're closed and they're gone. Flowers are temporary. And Jesus says, you know, you think about these flowers, and they're more intricate and beautiful than even Solomon's splendor, you know, Solomon's temple and, and all the things that he did. And yet they're going to be gone in just a short time. They're going to be burned, thrown into the trash. And Jesus says, if God takes that kind of care with the flowers that are going to be gone in just a short time, how much more will he care for you? How much more will he be interested in your life? How much more will he adorn you with the things that you need? And so Jesus says, being heavenly minded, focusing on the kingdom of God, means that you're trusting that God is going to provide what you need. And so as we do that, anxiety starts to disappear because we know that our biggest needs are nothing for God. I mean, how much money do you think God has? And money is it's just paper. You know, it's, it's just Something that we've created, that man has created. God's created this entire universe. How much does he owe? How much are our biggest problems to God? They're nothing. They're nothing to God. And so when we have a heavenly perspective, when we're focused on him and his kingdom, we realize that he'll provide us with what we need. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. Jesus gives us kind of a dose of realism at the end. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we think about the struggles that we have, oftentimes 
The biggest anxiety we experience is not what we're experiencing today, but our fear for what we're going to experience tomorrow. And the reality is God gives us what we need for today. He doesn't give us what we need for tomorrow. Tomorrow he'll give us what we need for tomorrow. And so Jesus gives us this dose of realism that you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems, and when you have problems, I'm going to meet, meet you in those needs. I'm going to provide for you today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow you're going to have your own uh, different problems, and I'm going to be there for you tomorrow. And so we have that heavenly mindset knowing God is here for me today. God's going to provide for me today. And no matter what I face tomorrow, he's going to be there for me and provide for me tomorrow. And so as we see that and experience that and have that heavenly mindset, not easily, but anxiety starts to disappear. There's once a woman who had an interesting um, experience. She was boarding a plane headed for Cleveland. And uh, as she was, she was kind of seated in the middle. And she looked out one window, and there was this beautiful sunset. It kind of shined and, and brightened up the whole sky. But the, on the other side, it was complete darkness and ominous. And in that moment, she felt like God was speaking to her. She said, you've noticed the window, or she felt like God was saying, you've noticed the windows. Your life, too, will contain some happy, beautiful times, but also some dark shadows. Here's a lesson I want to teach you to save you much heartache and allow you to abide in me with continual peace and joy. You see, it doesn't matter which window you look through. This plane is still going to Cleveland. So it is in your life. You have a choice. You can dwell on the gloomy picture. Or you can focus on the bright things and leave the dark and ominous situations to me. I alone can handle them anyway. The final destination is not influenced by what you see and hear along the way. Learn this, act on it, and you will be released. Able to experience the peace that passes understanding. God has us in the palm of his hands. We don't have to worry. Now, we're going to face trials. We're going to face difficult circumstances. But we know that God's in control. We know for us as believers, it's going to be okay. Because our Heavenly Father cares for us. Our Heavenly Father will never let us down. So when we're heavenly minded, our anxiety starts to disappear. So those are the four things I see in this passage that Jesus gives us uh, in terms of the Benefits of being heavenly minded. When we're heavenly minded, grace abounds. We have a reward in heaven that lives on forever. When we're heavenly minded, generosity overflows. We realize that our Father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. When we're heavenly minded, our allegiance is total. We realize that Jesus is our only master. And when we're heavenly minded, our anxiety starts to disappear. There's an old uh, sales manager's technique. You may have heard this before, but um, there were sales managers, and they would take their salesmen into a room and say, they would show them a piece of paper, and they'd ha- there'd be a little orange dot on one of the quarters. And the sales manager would ask the salesman, so what do you see on this paper? They would always say, I see that little orange dot. And then the manager would say, well, here's the problem. You see that little orange dot, but there's all of this other possibility. You only focus on this little spot. You don't see the opportunity that's before you. You don't see all the open space. And I think as believers, sometimes that's our weakness as well. We see the orange dot. We see earth. 
we don't see heaven. We see the problems of today. We see trouble with our bills, our health. We see these things on this earth, but we don't see what God is doing in heaven. We don't have a kingdom mindset. And sometimes I think that leads us to a place of anxiety. Sometimes it leads us to a place of lacking purpose. Sometimes it leads us to a place of despair. Because if this is, earth is all that there is, we're in trouble. But there's so much more. It's not just that little dot, that just a little piece of the puzzle. God is doing so much more than we can imagine. What if we changed our mindset? What if we had that eternal mindset? What if we brought the kingdom of God to bear in everything that we did? What if we had that heavenly mindset? I'd like to close with a quote from a writer by the name of Scott Hubbard, I think, that kind of sums this up, brings it together a little bit. He says this, set aside for a moment the day's pressing tasks. Hush, if you can, the hopes and desires that rushed upon you the moment you awoke. Step away from the morning's burdens. Forget what the hours ahead may hold. Now, Christian, remember, you are going to heaven. Very soon, even at any moment, you will be hastened away from all you've known here to take an eternal holiday. You will wake up to find your lungs filled with the air of a better country. Your sorrows and sighs will be out of sight. You will see Jesus face to face. And with him, you will be home. Our minds are most full of heaven when they are most full of Christ. He says, and now imagine what life might be like if, as we step back into the day's tasks, desires, and burdens, we kept one eye upward. How might today be different if we brought the hope of heaven into the stuff of earth? If thoughts of things above adorned our waking hours? We might then discover how much of our happiness rests on heavenly mindedness. And we might strive to have it said of us, as it was said of a saint of old, of that good man, let this high praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. May heaven be in us as we live our lives on this earth today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your perfect care for us. We thank you that you're your perfect heavenly father that loves us. Lord, we thank you that there's no one here that's beyond your love. There's no problem that's too big for you. That even our biggest problems, the things that keep it us up each night, Lord, these things are nothing to you. Lord, help us to live lives of purpose on this earth, but also help us to realize that this earth is not our home. That your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is where we're headed. Help us to have that heavenly mindset. Help us to realize that you've given us this time for a purpose. Not to hoard the things that we have now, not to pretend like this is our home, but to leverage everything that we are, everything that we have for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, as we do that, Lord, we trust and thank you that you're providing for us treasures in heaven, things that neither moth nor rust can destroy, that thieves cannot break in and steal. We thank you that the things that we do today echo into eternity. Lord, we love you. Lord, our eyes are so 
have this tendency to focus on the things that concern us. Our eyes are so focused sometimes on the things that lead us into darkness and destruction. Lord, help our eyes to be focused on you and your kingdom so that we might be light in this world and be a blessing to those around us. In Christ's name I pray.